we address what's on the screen that's pretty bizarre, let's go in our Bibles for something good before we get into the really weird, and then we'll come back to how you break through to the really weird. Uh, let's go to John chapter 8 uh, in our Bibles, and we'll be in verse 12 there. This is, I think, a very applicable verse to um, speaking to Buddhists. Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here's what's very interesting about Jesus. Does anybody see any exception in that verse about ways to find light outside of himself? No. It's kind of in the same vein as John 14.6, one that most of us know very well. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So once again, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So what he's saying is that the way that a person finds light, the way that a person finds God is through me. Now, we're going to try to break that down as we go through uh, tonight's lesson. But what we have here on the screen is uh, an article from a British news source. And it is this, Jedi religion, most popular alternative faith. Today's census figures show that 176,632 people in England and Wales identify themselves as Jedi Knights. Yeah, so, yeah, the exact same one, okay? Uh, making it the most popular faith in the, quote, other religions category on the census and the seventh most popular faith overall. Now, most of us understand what that's from, right? Which movie? You like Brilliant. Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Why should I even need to say that? But um, that, I think, is a good illustration of the world that, we are, that we're living in. Uh, think about all of the things that you could call yourself, but you say, you know what? My code of conduct, my morality, my beliefs about the afterlife, about this life, are best pictured by a fictional movie. Anybody have anything they want to say about that before we jump in? A little bit bizarre, a little bit strange. A lot of Star Wars is actually based on Buddhist con concepts such as the force and the good and things of that nature. So a lot of times when we read articles, like I don't know if you read weird articles like me, I may be the only one. But we can kind of say, man, what in the world would lead somebody to believe something like this? And so we're going to go through as much as we can tonight. If we get through all of it, that's great. If not, we'll make it part two next week. But a lot of the stuff that we're going to cover will probably make most of us scratch our heads and kind of say, what? So that doesn't make any sense. Well, Buddhism's not necessarily supposed to make sense according to Buddhists. To us and Regina, your conversations. Hopefully, this will cast some light. No pun intended about the verse, but hopefully, it will cast some Jesus light on how you actually talk to Buddhists. So, let's go ahead and jump into that. Um, we're going to go through our seven criteria that we're going to look at all of these um, these religions from. We're going to go originally from the origins of Buddhism. Then we're going to look at the concept of God in Buddhism and then humanity. What do Buddhists believe that we as humans actually are? And then worship and lifestyle. Number five, sin and salvation. Number six, the point of life. And then finally, number seven, how do we actually witness to Buddhists? So here's the origins of Buddhism. Um, 
obviously not all of this could could fit into our our outline but basically he was born as a a young child to a king there in what is modern day India and the king in order to help his son be the best that he could be in that culture decided to insulate him from everything that's bad um he had absolutely everything he could ever want um he was not allowed to see any person who was old or any person who was ill. It was just an absolute, um, I guess, a denial of reality. Okay, Now imagine that if you had been raised from a child and you were now a young adult and you had never been able to see anything that most of us deal with as life. You talk about sheltering and isolation. Imagine what that would be like. Well, finally one day um, he was able to, to get out and take a tour around the kingdom, and the dad, the king, gave the order, said, for my young son, this guy would later become known as the Buddha, all of the people that are sick, all of the old people, all of the uh, any type of funeral procession, any type of uh, a religious mendicant, or like a monk, somebody like that, wandering around, those people were banned. Well, it didn't actually go over, and... The young son, Siddhartha Gautama, if you want to talk to a Buddhist, he saw those things. And they were the four sights. And it's very interesting um, how Jesus addressed these. And we're going to talk about that as opposed to the Buddha. So here's what he saw on that journey. He saw an elderly man and um, he began to learn about the reality of aging. Imagine if you had been a young man from a child. You had never seen someone who had, who had really aged. Number two... He also saw someone who was ravaged by disease. He learned the reality of something called sickness. Number three, he saw a corpse, a funeral procession, and he learned that there is something such as death. Number four, he saw a community of monks with their begging bowls, and he learned the reality of want or religious devotion. So here's what happened. All of this really disturbed this young prince, this young Indian prince, And he began to inquire about, is there a place, is there a a state in which these realities aren't going to be able to touch human beings? In other words, can someone, can anyone escape suffering and death? Now that's a profound question, right? Let's take a time out. How many modern, westernized, materialistic Americans never even think about those issues that they're one day going to be faced with? It's like if we can have all the fun and all the cars and all the money and all the friends, then we're never going to have to worry about it. Well, he actually sat down and began to contemplate that. But before we go on, um, this is a, I think this is a good springboard for the gospel for us to understand these four sights that the young Buddha saw. And his response to it, as we'll see, is you need to meditate in order to gain enlightenment and nirvana. But Jesus saw all of these same things, Right? Now, how would you use the four sites as a springboard for the gospel? Everything from the reality of aging, the reality of disease, the reality of death, and the issue of people not having what they need, poverty. Well, just that, like, that those things do exist, but that this isn't, like, the end. Like, there is life after this, so there is Mm -hmm. hope for something better. Okay. All right, good, good. How did Jesus address these things when he came in contact with them? You hit a grand slam with that. 
Well, what about the reality of aging? The reality of death? Jesus says, I have conquered death, right? Paul speaks about that, that Jesus Christ has conquered death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So you can agree with the Buddhists and say, you know what, that is a reality and that's an evil thing. It's a terrible thing to see somebody, you know, waste away and then die and disease and the reality of death and the reality of poverty. You know, Jesus came, Jesus helped the people who were in poverty. And not only that, Jesus set up a, I guess what you could call a fate, that Christianity in which taking care of the poor within the first century church was a huge deal. So the Buddha saw these problems and he went into isolation. Jesus saw these problems and he brought freedom to those issues. You see the contrast? So that's a way that you can build a bridge with the Buddhist by showing that Jesus is greater um, than Buddha. And so what happened is once he thought about all of these issues and these, this, this pressing thing called life. It's called the uh, Great Renunciation. So here's what happened. He had a young son, and then he just left. He left his wife, he left his kid, and he went to pursue what he was hoping to bring about, uh, saving the world from suffering. So here's what he did. He lived as an ascetic for six years, which he denied himself all but the basic um, things that he needed to live. And he consulted the greatest religious teachers of the day. And he was not satisfied with their answers. And he became basically a living skeleton. Now just stop right there and think about the hopelessness of that. Uh, anybody know which religion he was operating within at this point? Hinduism. And remember from last week, Hinduism has absolute hopelessness. With karma and with endless cycles of rebirth, there is no hope but Jesus brings hope, but this is occurring around five or six hundred BC. So this is before Jesus came. But what was the Jew? What what was the job that God gave the Jewish people? Was it simply to hold God's revelation within themselves? No. The book of Isaiah says that you were given as a light unto the Gentiles. So really, this is an indictment upon the failure of God's people to do what God had called them to do. And I think in a similar way, um, for us today as believers, we have to engage in missions. It's not an option. We've got to give to it. We've got to go. Because there are other people like this living today that need someone to bring in the gospel. And so, here's what he did. Eventually, he rejected luxury. And he, he rejected asceticism. And he called it the middle path or the way of moderation. And he sat under this tree. And he began to meditate. And then he determined, I'm not going to get up until I achieve or reach enlightenment. Now, he said that he reached enlightenment. We're going to talk about kind of what that is in just a minute. But something about the Buddha is that he died at 80 years old, and it was from eating a piece of spoiled pork. All right, now that's a little bit different than Jesus, who died as a 33-year-old man, willingly giving his life over. I think that just in, in that sense, there's such a contrast between Jesus and Buddha. Um, this is his, these are his dying words. He says, you must be your own lamps, be your own refuges. Take refuge in nothing outside yourselves. Hold firm to the truth as a lamp and a refuge, and do not look for refuge to anything else besides yourselves. 
A monk becomes his own lamp and refuge by continually looking on his own body, feelings, perceptions, moods, and ideas in such a manner that he conquers the cravings and depressions of ordinary men and is always strenuous, self-possessed, and collected in mind. It's a pretty high goal, right? Uh, Whoever among my monks does this, either now or when I am dead, if he is anxious to learn, will reach the summit. Now, what is different between that and Jesus' last words, I guess, at the cross? He gave up his spirit to God the Father so that we could be saved. But then when Jesus was raised from the dead and he was about to send back to the Father, he says, all power has been given to me on heaven and earth. Go into all the world and make disciples. And notice right here, um, with Buddha's last words, does anybody see a contrast between that and what Jesus taught to where you cannot rely upon yourselves, but you must rely upon God? I'm just struck by the fact that um, take refuge in nothing else outside yourselves and hold firm to that truth that mm-hmm. you are your own refuge. Yes. Well, what if somebody else says they're the refuge? Don't you have a conflict with who's a refuge? They're the refuge for themselves and you're the refuge for you and CJ's the refuge for himself and Regina's the refuge for herself. Anybody see a little bit of hopelessness here? It's almost like hopelessness is trying to say that there is hope. Because if most of us were serious, we know that we are so finite and we are so limited in our own strength. So where Jesus says, look to me, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Rest. You know, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God is our refuge, a very present help in time of trouble. Buddhism denies God. We're going to look at that. There basically is no God in Buddhism. So here's the thing. If you've got issues, if you've got problems in Buddhism, you have to go to yourself. And if we're thinking halfway sane, we know that we're so limited. And that's going to eventually give way to hopelessness. But Jesus is alive and this is a false philosophy. So number two, uh, how does God fit into Buddhism? There's actually in Buddhism no quote unquote God. Uh, there's only what's called bodhisattvas, and that is humans who have reached enlightenment, and they have become divine. So really, there's nobody that we're going to pray to or ask things from other than really super awesome people who have gone on before us, that have some spiritual power that they've gotten through meditation and so forth. So basically, we could say that Buddhism is more of a philosophy than it is a religion. It's more a way to, to gain some mental state than it is to, to be devoted to a God. But I want to ask you this question. We can discuss it. Uh, how would the absence or the non-reality of an all-powerful God affect how you live? If you are, like you're saying, Trish, if you are the only refuge to be sought, if there is no one else, if there is no power outside of you, Right. Yeah. Morality and truth just become relevant to whatever you want to. Right. Right. Well, this this might not make sense wrong, but like he obviously admitted that we're imperfect because if we weren't, then we wouldn't have to go to such a high state of you know trying to reach nirvana. 
Yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um, number three, humanity and Buddhism. There, in Buddhism, there is no individual "quote unquote" self. Only what they call uh, anatman, which is the non-self. Now, here's where it gets a little a little squirrely for us Westerners to understand. The only thing we call a quote self is merely a bundle of perceptions with nothing to tie the bundle together and. Uh, it should be, and no one beyond the bundle. Now, what, what does the Bible say we are as humans? It's a fundamental question. What are we? We're humans, but what does that mean? We're God's creation. Okay. All right. We're God's creation, definitely. Yet, yes, we're made in the image of God. Okay, so we're, we're specially made by God. We're made in God's image. But according to, to Buddhism, there really is no you. Really is no individual. And that's a denial of scripture because we're, all of us are made in God's image. We're made um, individually and, and with different gifts and so forth. Buddhism also teaches that all things are conditioned to change and they're not permanent. Thus, your, our very existence is not permanent. So whatever is, and here's where it really begins to, to catch speed. Whatever is impermanent is subject to suffering. Therefore, uh, life is not satisfactory. <clears throat> we'll go past that. Number four, worship and lifestyle in Buddhism. Uh, his first sermon, he talked about the middle way, which is the fourfold noble path. Which is, number one, existence itself is suffering. Now, for most people who have ever lived, that's been largely true. People who've lived under tyrannical regimes, and really, if we were honest, life is pretty rough. Number two, he says that suffering comes from craving and desires or attachment. Number three, there exists a cessation or an elimination of suffering, which is called nirvana. And number four, there is a path to nirvana, and it is eightfold. We've all probably heard the eightfold path to enlightenment. But now, this is interesting because he says that suffering comes from cravings and desires. I don't know about you, but it's interesting when you study world religions that most of them identify that there's a problem in the world, that there's evil in the world, but most of them don't ultimately know where it comes from, and they sure don't know how you deal with it. That's where, and hopefully on Sunday, if the Lord gives me grace, I'll unpack that, what Jesus did by way of identifying with us um, and becoming, um, becoming God in the flesh. That answers so much of this. But the Eightfold Path are, now, now once again, as we go through this, if you're ever going to get out of this cycle of suffering, you've got to be really good at these things. Y'all ready for it? Okay. Number one, right views. Have you always had the right views? Number two, the right resolve. Number three, the right speech. Have y'all always had the right speech? I know that I have not. Just being honest. Okay. Number four, <coughs> right action. But here's the thing, kind of, kind of like Jesus, you know, uh, when, when, the, when the rich young ruler said, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, just keep the law. You, you'll be fine. Basically, just, just be perfect and everything's going to work out. This is almost the same thing, but this is serious. Number five, right livelihood. Number six, right effort. Number seven, right mindfulness. And number eight, the right concentration. How would you describe this? 
If someone's saying the only way that you get out of the circle of rebirth and suffering and karma is you just do the right thing. You say, well, what is the right thing? We'll just do all these things. How would you describe that? Impossible. Good description. Impossible. Well, what, is, what are they basing Good question. Here, here, here's where a lot of this really logically breaks down. And I think we've got a great inroad, especially for Americans. And a lot of times it's younger people who are wanting to be cool. And I'm like a, I'm a neural Buddhist, man. You know, and they're, they're wanting to be like a thinking person. Just ask them, say, well, with all of this emphasis on the good, well, if there is no, is no ultimate standard bearer, then who's to really say what is good? Yeah, excellent question. Um, so here, here's, here's a question. How could you use the Eightfold Path to Enlightenment as a springboard to the gospel? I think you ask somebody, do you honestly believe that you can live that way? Okay, good, good. And if they say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying... What, what what would we say at that point? It's not good enough. Pride to always have the right things. You have to have it, or else you're not going to reach nirvana. Yeah. Which is impossible. Right. Right. And see, here's here's where y'all. Once again, I think the gospel sometimes can can lose some of its. I guess we could say lose some of its awesomeness in the South and in America. But when you contrast the certainty of the gospel. Jesus rose from the dead. He promises absolute and total forgiveness of all sins if we would just repent and place our faith in Him. When you contrast that type of certainty, and when Jesus makes promises, I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am, you you may be also. You know, promises like, I am the resurrection and the life. I think it's John 14. You know, though a man may die, yet shall he live. That's certain. Absolute certainty. And when you contrast that and compare that to what all these people, they're trying to have the right views, they're trying to have the right resolve, and like you're saying, they're just trying to do better, they're trying to do better. That's such slavery. Whereas the gospel comes in, and it's very clearly demonstrated that Jesus is the Son of God, and He rose from the dead. And if you place your faith in Him, you can have certainty that you'll be forgiven. That, that, that's not even comparing apples and oranges. That's an absolute and total contrast. So um, we're going to go over a few, some of this. But uh, basically what happened is, is when Buddha claimed that he reached enlightenment, he sent out, he sent out his five best disciples and they began to go teach this doctrine. And uh, by the way, B- Buddhism is considered to be a heresy by Hinduism. The Hindus say that the Buddhists have de- deviated from the truth, which I always think it's interesting. How can you deviate from a truth when you say that there is no one truth, right? It's kind of, kind of a little bit self-defeating there. Um, but one of the things that he did is that he rejected the caste system, and uh, he even appointed a beggar or scavenger to a high position. He um, also, um, I think we've got the picture here, yeah. He ministered to the sick, and we talked about last week, and within Hinduism, you don't want to go. Uh, if you're a strict Hindu obeying caste, you don't want to help someone who's suffering from a disease because you would be interfering with their karma and breaking caste. 
uh, one thing that he did that you can actually uh, give kind of a Buddhist a thumbs up, say he did the right thing, he actually took care of the person who was suffering from this disease. You know, that's a good thing, that's, that, that's a step, especially if you talk to the younger generation, that's a step in the right direction in terms of human rights. But let me tell you about what Jesus did when he met sick people, people who were ill. Jesus healed them. He didn't just uh, get down and clean the disciples' feet. He actually healed people. And that's a historical record that, if we have time, we'll see it's far better supported than anything that Buddha did. So here's the thing. If somebody's going to choose a religion, if you're talking to a religious person, why would you not choose Jesus? I mean, seriously? And we're, we're not all the way through this. We looked at Hinduism last week. Why would you not choose Jesus? Well, Jesus' answer in John 3 is that men love the darkness and they do not come into the light lest their deeds be exposed. I honestly think that the reason why some people will go into hopeless religions such as Hinduism or Buddhism is because it helped, it's basically selfishness and it justifies yourself. Because here's the thing. What do, what do we brag about in Christianity? What do you have to brag about in terms of your relationship with Christ? Okay. Every, every Christian has a relationship with God. You can't have a relationship with um, an idol. Right, right, okay. Can, can, we, can we necessarily brag about that, though? Because who, who, who initiated that relationship, and that's true, that we all have a relationship with God if we've been saved. It may break that we all have hope and absolute sanctity and where we're going after death. Absolutely. And who's the one who gives that to us? Jesus. Absolutely. And did I do anything to warrant that? To deserve that? No. Can I do anything to keep that? No. So Christianity basically comes with like the sledgehammer of God's humility uh, maker and just takes our takes us out of the knees to where we just hit the ground and we say I can't bring anything to the table at all I have your greatest blessings but that is all because of your gift for God gave John 3 16 see is this for like old school gospel like like VBS Jesus presentation smacks in the face of the hopelessness of these religions and these philosophies but here's the thing if I'm a Buddhist and I'm a practicing Buddhist, do you know what I get to pride myself on? Every advance I make in Buddhism, because as we look at what Buddha said, you are your own light, you are your own refuge, and if you get anywhere close to nirvana, it's because you have disciplined yourself more than ordinary men. And the Bible calls that P-R-I-D-E. And I don't know if you're like me, But I have a strong pull of my old nature back to that old thing called pride. And that's where the gospel continually, in that, like you guys mentioned, in that relationship with Christ, the gospel continually cuts the head off of that serpent. That even when God blesses us, whether it's financial, or, you know, like like Lee mentioned, the Lord, I didn't even know that, Lee, maybe I should read it, but the Lord blesses to be number three in in the, the, the association for new people coming and people being saved. That's all God's grace. But these religions and philosophies, they do nothing but feed into the old human sin of pride. And that's so dangerous. And that's why I think sometimes it's hard to come out of the darkness into the light. Because what you have to do if you're coming from Buddhism to Christianity is realize, I don't have right views. I don't have the right goals. 
I am what the Bible says I am, a sinner who's under the wrath of God. Nobody wants to say that, right? Like, nobody wants to stand up on Sunday morning, stand up at the Lions Club and be like, I'm a sinner, and I deserve hell, and if it wasn't for God's mercy, I would be there right now. Thanks for letting me come. Like, no, nobody wants to say that. But that's what Christianity says that a person must come to in order to receive what Christ has done. It would be great if we was all free or to give that testimony there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and see, and there's... Well, Lee, I mean, I, don't y'all think there's freedom in that? There's there's freedom in understanding what we are. I mean, I'm comparing what we learned last week and this weekend. Basically, it seems like it all goes to the same point. It breeds insecurity. Because when you have that type of exterior pride, you might look confident on the outside and on the inside. You really have no security. You can't trust what's true. You can't trust what's eternal. Because it's all whatever you make up. Right. Right. I think you're exactly right. And then there is something also called religious deception. You know, to where a person can be so deceived. Uh, kind of like a, um, is the right phrase pathological liar? Where some people, they lie so much that they begin to believe their own lies. And we're not saying that Buddhists or Hindus are like that. But I think there's a certain level of religious deception to where even Jesus said to his disciples that one day they're going to kill you, speaking of the Jews specifically, and they're going to be thinking that they're serving whom? God. Like they're actually going to kill the followers of God thinking that they're actually serving God. So I think that's you know another another thing that plays in here, that the, the strong reality of, of religious deception, which once again the gospel uh, breaks into. So number five... Uh, for sin and salvation in Buddhism, this is what uh, Winfred Corduan says in his book. He says, salvation consists of release from the cycle of reincarnation. Here's, here's how. By realizing that there is no cycle of reincarnations. Is there anybody that that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to? Okay. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, um, like if you've ever talked to, I don't know if this came up in your conversation, but uh, Zen Buddhism, they ask questions like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Silence. Yeah, they, and so a lot of Buddhism, they, they ask questions that necessarily can't be answered, and there's almost, like that's what you should do, is ask questions and postulate answers to questions that really don't have an answer Whereas the gospel comes in that says, here's what you know you are. Here's your problem. It's called sin. Here's the solution. It's a savior. If you guys have doubts about that, I'll demonstrate it before the world. Demonstrate it through manuscript evidence. Demonstrate it through the witness of the Holy Spirit. Demonstrate it through, you know, the church growing like wildfire, even being here today. And what God's asking you to do is to put your faith in him. You see, it's it's so much clearer in Christianity. But here's... um. Here's a question that's not in the notes that, that I thought about. If you were Satan, you could deny Jesus, right? To try to tell people that Jesus never lived, which hardly anyone believes that who's done any type of study. You could deny that Jesus is the only way. But you could also kind of get out this spiritual fog machine and tell them that by just walking through the fog... And trying to explain this fog, 
that thereby you don't need to explain Jesus. And I think that's basically what Buddhism is. It's just telling people to go on this wild goose chase and there's really no answers, there's really no resolution. It's simply do these things. Well, do them how much? To what degree? I mean, when do I know that I reach enlightenment? And so forth. Uh, So here's what Buddhism is trying to help people get out of. This is just an old picture here about the cycle of suffering, endless rebirths, and so forth. But here's the question about what is nirvana, um, and not not the band. <laughs> Literally, it means the blowing out of the flame of desire and the negation of suffering. Nirvana is nothing or not is not nothing or non-being, but neither is it anything that has being. It is beyond our categories of existence or thought. Now, I think that right there would be a good time for us to step in when you're talking to a Buddhist, if they have this memorized, and say something really spiritual like, Really? (laughs) Can you come with me that... Come at me again with that. You're telling me that nirvana is not nothing or non-being, but neither is it anything that has been. Maybe, here's my thing, I see that as a contradiction. I'm sorry. It's either it's either real or it's not. It's either a being or it's a non-being. You can't have both. But it's they said it's beyond our categories of existence or thought. That's 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 bull. Alright? I, I and, and that may not be the best thing to say to a Buddhist, but just just seriously ask them, say, what do you exactly mean by that? Break that down for me, and they're just gonna have to leave it right here. It's this mysterious thing that's contradictory in nature that they can't really explain. Now here's something. If you're talking to a traditional Buddhist, someone who comes over um, from China or somewhere like that, a lot of that is ingrained in them through culture. But if you're talking to an American, you're like, bro. Really? You know, Where come on. Where did they get that concept of nirvana from? Their explanation of it. Where, where did that truth come from? Well, Buddha said that all of the suffering comes from desire. And so if we um, detach ourselves from desire, which means really you no longer care, which by the way, Jesus says the opposite. You care so much that you give your life and the spreading of this message of salvation. Buddhism says that you break that attachment to desire, and in doing that, you kind of drift away from, well, what does desire require? You have to be a person. You have to be a reality or something like that. You have to be thinking. In other words, you just kind of space out. You separate yourself, and this is my term, from caring. And you do that through meditation and so on, which the gospel is 180 degrees the other way. And so, um, Buddha also, does that kind of answer? Well, if that's the case, then why does it never occur to the next person delving into Buddhism that, oh, I'm supposed to be true to my own truth. I don't like that one. They not accept it. Why do they accept one leader's truth when you can't have a leader? Well, they think that he is the first one who reached an enlightenment. And we're running out of time, but we'll, we'll, we'll pick sorry. up here. No, 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 no. Good questions. We'll pick up here next week. But here's, here's the final question that we'll, we'll really jump into next Wednesday. What is the difference between demonstrating that you reach nirvana 
or enlightenment, a state of mind. What's the difference between that and then demonstrating that you're going to physically die and physically be raised from the dead? Let's say, for example, I tell you guys I've reached a certain state of mind. Do you know that? Can you test that? Is there any way at all that you would have evidence of whether I'm pulling the wool over your eyes or whether I have reached some state of mind? You have no ability to know that. But Jesus said, I am the one who's been prophesied. We see that. He's the one who even prophesied his own death. He's the one who said, you know, I'm going to come. I'm going to three days in the ground. I'm going to be raised again. And not only that, we've got the evidence of the empty tomb. We've got the evidence of even his enemies who couldn't find any other explanation than to try to bribe uh, the guards there. So here's the thing that I think is very, very sad in Buddhism. They're staking all of this on a guy who left his family, all right, and went into the woods to find these answers. And what he came out with is that I have reached enlightenment. My mind, my ability, I have achieved something intellectually. Therefore, base your lives on something that for all you know, I could be telling an absolute lie. You contrast that with how Jesus says, I'm telling you guys I'm going to die. Basically, if I'm in the ground five days later, a week later, this whole thing's a joke. That's worlds apart. And that's why I think our God is so merciful and so great to give His Son in such a way that everybody who needs evidence in any way, it's there. As opposed to Jesus showing up on the scene and say, guys, I've spent a lot of time in the wilderness. I've achieved a state of mind. If you just follow these rules, you may be able to achieve the same state of mind as me. No, Jesus came and he came out of, I guess we could say, the monastery, so to speak. He lived with people. He worked with people. And he bled and died just like we would. So that's... uh, We'll just have to leave it there for next week. And uh, if you guys have any questions about it, um, bring, bring it next week and we'll hopefully break it down. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for, um, for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And we pray, Father, that um, as we wrap this up next week, that you'll give us the ability to be persuasive uh, online and be persuasive face to face and be persuasive in our writing, Lord, so that we can share you with people who are in spiritual darkness. And we thank you that you are the light of the world. And we thank you and praise you that you have promised us that if we follow you, we will not walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. In Jesus' name, amen.